All right. Well, I am in Sydney, Australia today, and I am joined by Damien and Kylie. We are going to be talking about insurance. Welcome on the podcast. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having us. Um, we're happy to be here and, and look forward to having a chat with you. Very exciting. Looking forward to it. Very good. So maybe just to start off with, uh, just to talk about each of you personally, is like how you got into insurance and then we'll get into the actual company and how it relates to the hire industry. Sure. Um, well, look, I started um, in a business development role for a, for a company that was fitting commercial furniture and decided that, that I'd gone as far as I could in, the, in that space, wanted to get into a, a new industry. And, and initially I thought banking was going to be the, the go, but I had a friend of the family that, that was an insurance broker and they um, talked me into it and it's the best thing I've ever done. So that, that was in 2007. Um, and so I've been working um, as an insurance broker since 07 and had my own business for the last 10 years in Melbourne. Yeah, and then you, you got into the hire industry during that time as well? So uh, basically from the very start of my insurance career, I was dealing with, with hire businesses. Um, it was just one of the, one of the industries that, that I was aligned with when I, when I first started. So I was lucky in that respect. Yeah. And yourself, Kylie? Um, well, I've always been in insurance. So 29 years in the insurance industry, uh, 20 uh, working with the hire association on and off and all of its members. Um, and the last 12 years, I've uh, had my own business in that industry. So this is, I live and breathe it. Um, hire is my life. Wow. And so 20 years working with the hire industry, specifically around insurance. Yes. So what was it like 20 years ago when it came to insurance? Um, it was a really different time. Um, we'd just gone through some changes and caps on liability. Um, in 2002, it was really hard for uh, hire companies to secure liability insurance. Um, sometimes I'd be going out and sitting with clients, they'd be crying. You know, um, it, would be, it was a really challenging time um, to arrange cover for people and sometimes you couldn't always secure cover. So, um, you know, we've definitely gone through peaks and troughs in that time um, and learned a lot along the way. Um, we've had a period where um, it's been a lot easier to place insurance, but then uh, the last few years with natural disasters being what they are, um, and they seem to be becoming far more frequent, it's become more challenging probably mm. now than it was then. Yeah. And so just for some of the audience, because I can guarantee there's someone out there listening that is saying, what is an insurance broker? guarantee someone out there is going to say it. Do you want to explain what is an insurance broker? Sure. Well, we're an intermediary. So we work for our clients, be it the higher businesses, and we design and tailor a, an insurance program and then market it to insurers and get the best deal possible, essentially. And then that also works on the back end from a claims point of view. Uh, we act as the, the middleman in, in, in that instance and, uh, I guess, coordinate things on our client's behalf. Mm, okay, and so, so I've been working with the the HRA uh, for a while now, um, going to their trade shows and events, and I've seen the HRA insurance listed on various banners and trade shows and advertisements. So, so what's the link between HRA insurance and you guys? Um, well, I guess we because we've been in the industry for so long. Um, so myself for twenty years, Damien for not not. Uh, too far um, short of yeah. that um, we had so many clients in that area so we first started working for a company that had a specialty in that area and 
I guess the hire industry is one of those industries that once you join, once you become a part of it, you never leave it. Like everyone in this industry is like a giant family. So um, when we started our own businesses, we still continued to either maintain relationships with clients in that sector or you were drawn to them because they're just a great bunch of people to work with as well. And um, and it is a, a high risk um, style industry in, in some capacity capacities so we want to make sure like we add value um, so from that point of view we had quite a lot of clients in that industry um, and thought okay well let's put a name on it um, to reinforce the message and it also helps the members to understand who we are as well so they can go okay well this is the sort of business we have this is our bread and butter we can help and when did that link initially start um, so um, it was three or four years ago yeah. that we branded hire insurance brokers. Um, but for um, the last 12 uh, years that I've been running independently, yeah, uh, 10 years for Damien yeah. independently, um, we've been um, blessed to be connecting with more and more hire clients through that time. Okay. And, mm. and so if someone is a member of the Hire Rental Industry Association or that is in the hire industry, like how do they typically engage? Well, a number of different ways, but we are the endorsed broker of the association, so we, we have their backing and, and we develop products and services for their client base, uh, essentially. So uh, if a new member joins, they would be, be pushed our way by the association for guidance for that initial startup sort of insurance program. Um, but a lot of our... Um, I guess new business or, or clientele is coming from other hire companies at the moment, I think, mm. um, because look, we have been in, in the industry for so long and it is, um, it's very insular in that, in that respect that um, I think you need, you need a broker that knows hire uh, because there's so many nuances around you know, different claim um, exposures. And, and, and unless you've dealt with those type of things, and we've dealt with thousands of claims in, with hire, and we, we know the ins and outs and, and where the hire agreement comes into play and, and what sort of recovery prospects we're gonna have for our clients, uh, it, it's, it's highly technical. And um, you know, I think experience counts. So um, if we get the opportunity to, to, to talk to a member, I think we, we, we certainly do add a lot of value. Mm. And you guys have been to the trade shows, the conventions? Yep, yep. I think I'd be on my 12th in a row, I think. Wow. So yeah, and, and Kylie, you'd probably be more. Yeah, I reckon. No, it's, it's a bag of fun. It's good to catch up with people as well. Like obviously we're there to talk to members that want to talk about insurance, but it's such a social industry as well that you're catching up with people that you've known for 20 years. It's nice. And yeah. it's nice to, to, I guess, be able to catch up with, you know, 20, 30 of your clients at one place. Mm. Um, and look, they're all a lot of fun, aren't they, as well? Mm. Yeah. Well, I think it's a great opportunity for new people in the industry uh, the young professional network, those sort of like bring the the next generation of people through because like I've always found like if you don't have like, I don't know, like a way to sort of get into the, the group of people like you, you can go to the association and go to those events and then almost be like handheld like, oh, meet this person or meet this person or network like this where mm. if you're just working at a company and you have to like try and network yourself, like it's much harder, like mm. using LinkedIn or just chatting to people. So it's, for me, yeah, like I think the, the trade show is a massive networking opportunity and then adding on additional services like you guys to try and help businesses while, while we're there. 
I think one of the great things I love about hire and, and especially hire business owners is their willingness to, to help other other business owners and interact with, you know, people that have less experience. Um, you know, a lot of industries, they're, they're, they're very guarded around their process, their information, mm, their, IP. their IP, whereas in hire it seems to, to have the opposite, that, that people go out of their way to, to, to ensure, you know, start-up businesses and businesses that, that aren't as experienced get as much help as they can, which is, I think, is really admirable. Mm. Right. So let's say that I'm a hire business and I want to work with you guys to insure my equipment. What does the insurance cover? Mm-hmm. Um, it is varied, so it depends on the type of business that you have. In the hire industry, uh, it's so uh, it's so varied. Uh, you can have a hire and equipment company or plant and equipment company, a party and event hire company. You could uh, hire portable toilets or buildings. Uh, the exposure is is vast. So depending on the type of equipment that you hire, um, if you've had claims before, the size of your business, um, there's uh, a lot of significant factors that go into it, but we would walk through the process, collect the information that we'd need from you, so the basic um, uh, the turnover, the what you do, your claims history, um, and then talk to you about your hire agreement, um, your risk management processes. Um, and from there, I guess try and create um, a clear picture to an insurer that we can paint for them so that we can explain that you're a safe or a, a, a great company for them to insure to try and secure the, the best possible outcome from a premium point of view. Um, but try and also add on the, the the additional covers that you might need that are unique to your business as well. Mm. And I think typically, typically what we're placing in hire at the moment is, you know, you, you'll have a mobile plant policy, public liability policy, property policy, marine, uh, cyber insurance is, is a really hot topic at the moment with us. Very um, much so. Uh, especially in the current environment with claims. Management liability is another, another hot topic. Mm. Um, and then some workers comp depending on, uh, which which state you're in, so and corporate travel, that type of thing. Uh, we offer all insurances, but those are the ones that typically are taken up by by hire companies. And so, let's say I I own a scissor lift, hypothetically, yep. and when I insure the scissor lift. I've agreed the value of the scissor lift and the premiums and lots of stuff, and it gets damaged in an accident or something like that. Like, what's the process like? Is there is it the same as car insurance where you, someone needs to go out do an inspection or stuff like? How does it work? It's very similar to, to car insurance in in that example that you've given, um, and it's a it's a tricky one when when you say you know you've established a value um, when you when you it's not like a motor vehicle in that respect. The the way insurance policies work with equipment, most like I mean, in most circumstances is that it's you you put a sum insured on it. And then the insurer has the option to settle based on the sum insured or the market value, whichever is lesser. So it's important from our from our point of view to to guide our to guide our clients and make sure that the sums insured are relatively accurate, so that a that they're not paying too much premium, um, but but also they're not underinsured as well. Um, but we would just submit the claim to the insurer. Um, there would be an assessor appointed. Um, we would we would either agree or disagree with the assessment mm. uh, from a value point of view uh, or you know if it's being repaired we'd, we'd make sure that the that the repairs are, are being carried out in a timely fashion uh, and and get the, the settlement finished for the client move on hopefully not to another claim but um, it's 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 fairly straightforward it is yeah. similar to motor vehicle insurance and I think we we're talking before the podcast about 
documentation that is required and you mentioned you need to have the rental contract or the hire schedule linked back to that agreement to be able to claim the insurance yeah and some people still are on paper documents which is crazy if you're on paper documents get off paper documents uh is that examples where someone hasn't been able to claim their insurance because they've handwritten something and it's thrown out or they've lost it yes and no mark it, it, it's it's more so around being able to recover so if if you have a claim you, you own a hire business you've got a piece of equipment damaged i'm the hire and i've damaged it you, you at the end of the day if you don't have a damage waiver in place you want your insurer to recover the loss from the hire uh, so that your claims history doesn't have this big claim on it where when it wasn't your fault mm. so the, the documentation is more so just uh, a step in that process and if it, if you if you don't have it in in the done correctly or, or filled out correctly it can just it can just make that recovery process harder and and at the end of the day your insurances will increase because your claims are, uh, are higher yeah okay and also just to add to that your hire agreement I, they're your terms of trade so it's really important that the hire company understands the terms of trade that yeah. they have with their customer as well um, and that their customer signs that agreement the fact that the hirer has sent a copy via email, or the or the hirer has has seen the agreement but hasn't signed it. It is still a legally binding document, and it helps you if you are in a claim scenario as well. And it just makes um, a claim or an insurance process a lot easier in mm. the event that something um, happens that you don't want. Yeah, you'd almost have to dig up like email trails to yeah, exactly. Prove that. Yeah, that's exactly what you have to do, and it just gets messy. Yeah, yeah. You want yeah. it to be clean and clear. And so, while we're on the topic of damage waivers, so what's the difference between damage waiver and insurance? Hmm. Well, the, the, this is a contentious issue in hire. The damage waiver has always been uh, something that some businesses love and some businesses hate. Uh, I think. Traditionally, uh, the, the people against damage waiver are just saying it's purely uh, just a, a revenue stream and, and it covers nothing. But uh, I, I, I disagree with that. I think, I think that there's certainly a place for damage waiver in hire um, because in the absence, the onus of all damage goes to the hirer if, if your terms and conditions are done correctly. Um, and the damage waiver just limits their exposure and there certainly are exclusions, uh, you know, so there's still a duty of care for the hirer, but it just gives a, a level of protection, Mark, because if you were going to hire a $40,000 excavator um, and you don't take out the damage waiver, you don't have the ability, you know, you might not have the ability to pay $40,000 for a replacement machine. Mm. So it just gives the, a level of protection to the hirer. Um, and, I, and I think, look, I'm an advocate for it. What about you, Kylie? Um, uh, I think it depends on the situation. Um, I think the smaller independent hire companies as well, keeping in mind that if they are um, uh, agreeing or offering damage waiver on their um, in, within their terms and conditions, these are things that are going to bank up on their claims history as well. Yeah. So if, uh, Mark, if you were to hire four machines from me and you had a horrible run and all four of them were damaged, well, you've taken my damage waiver and then that's banking up on my insurance premiums. So or on my claims history, which is going to affect my insurance premiums in the future. So I think it can have an adverse effect on a hire company as well. It depends on the scale and the size. I think a small, um, a small hire company um, 
might have to consider, um, I guess, both both sides of the fence when they're considering offering damage waiver or not, because um, there are pros and cons to both. Mm. Uh, but I think it, it's interesting that the genesis of the damage waiver was to collect, you know, say, be it 12.5% mm-hmm. of your hire and keep that as a, a pool for working losses. And then somehow it's morphed into what it is now where you do that and you still claim on your insurance. Yes. So it's it's... It's funny how that's evolved. Yes. Because I know when I first started, it was certainly that was the concept. We would say that that this is a working pool of cash that you've got to pay for small losses, that you don't claim on your insurance. Now, now we're writing policies around the damage waiver, um, knowing that they're going to claim claim on their insurance as well. So it's it's certainly tricky, but to, but I, I agree with you, Coley, in the respect that look, it, overall the, the loss ratio governs everything doesn't it so if if you the business is having claim after claim after claim we certainly need to you know address the risk management first and make sure that the processes are correct because something's wrong Um, but also you have to perhaps reevaluate whether the damage waiver is is something that's sustainable long term Mm, yeah but but i guess yeah if you're doing what you're saying before where you have a damage waiver and you use that pool of money to repair the asset and you don't claim your insurance and that won't affect your premium yeah because no no because you're not claiming not, but you're saying no. that that that's not as common as what it used to be no well look i, I think that that you know really minor things the high businesses uh like wear and tear uh, and you know like yeah that. they're not claiming everything um but i think it's it's certainly not done like it used to be done where where you'd have because some businesses are, are collecting a considerable amount of money on mm, for damage waiver very much so. and um and I, I think that until you actually look at the impact it has on premium, um, then you, you don't really understand that, that you, you're doing yourself an injustice sometimes by claiming mm. when you're collecting you know, money on, on that scale as well. Yeah, interesting. I might try and talk to small hire companies about yeah. the way they allocate that, that revenue and amortise it against equipment. Yeah, and where I'd it's be at. interested to, to find out the outcome of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. So let's say I own a hire business, I've got a range of fleet and I want to insure it. Obviously, it depends on like a whole bunch of variables on how much it is, but what can someone expect to pay for insurance? Mm. Um, you're right. There, It is varying, but it varies based on this type of company that's needing the insurance as well. So the size of the business, what they do, what they hire, um, have they had claims before, where they're located. Um, so there's quite a few things that we take into consideration. Um, we couldn't necessarily give you a a flat price as such um, but we have a suite of products which are dedicated to the industry as well or specifically designed for the industry um, and we'd work with the individual to um, nut out based on the varied information that we'd need from them uh, a guide for their premiums so we couldn't just give someone a a plain guide Mm, yeah I think that's a a, how long is a piece of string sort of stuff yeah 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 but is there like a like a percentage or like a like is someone expected to pay five percent of the value of the asset like like what is the range i'm not sure how much it costs to insure equipment um every insurer is different in that regard which is why i guess there's the benefit of a broker so every insurer will have a set of actuaries that would assist them to compile their own claims data 
um, and work by region to establish a rating structure, a, a pricing guide. Um, but every insurer is different in terms of what they're going to offer as well. So um, one insurer might have one rate, another insurer might have another, but the benefit of the broker is that they're going to have a look at um, the premium structures of each business, negotiate with those insurers, um, and um, we'll try and meet a middle ground in terms of um, what's fair for the client and Collie mentioned earlier that we are in a hard insurance market at the moment very much and it's so. cyclical or cyclica um that it's a soft market hard market we're in a hard market at the moment so really what's coming to the fore at the moment is how you present the information to the insurers mm. and that's that's where i think that that having the experience that we have and and the quality of our presentations makes a big difference in the results that we're getting for our clients at the moment. Um, and that might be, you know, risk engineering information around sprinkler systems, construction uh, surveys, that type of thing. So the, all of these these little factors contribute to, to uh, I guess, an overall rating and, and where the insurers see the risk at. Mm. I mean, sorry to to interrupt, but um, if I look back at, say, in 2002 when we had a hard market for liability, um, certainly it was a a challenging time and not everyone could secure insurance. We're now also in a a challenging time, not not necessarily for liability, but definitely in the property property, market because um, we unfortunately have had La Nina and uh, bushfires and cyclones and floods and you name it natural disaster after natural disaster disaster and whilst it has been cyclical for some time at the moment i don't know if we've moved out of that natural disaster phase of the cycle Um, it's been going on for such a period of time that um, some of the insurers that we've worked with for a long time that you've always been able to look at a client and say well we'll be able to find a solution for you somewhere it's just a matter of where there's some clients that you would speak to now, depending on the industry, um, that you may not be able to secure insurance for, which is why um, the experience is really important to have someone who works in your sector, who knows, um, who can guide you and say, okay, well, maybe if we do this and this and this, we might be able to change this outcome here and it's going to secure something that's far more favourable or um, secure the insurance. And I think the, the, so the, t- the 2022... Flood events, East Coast flood events, is the most costly insurance event in Australia ever mm. for insurers, and that's off the back of a, a number of other natural disasters. So when you take that into consideration, the insurers' portfolios aren't profitable at the moment in the property space. So yeah, it's certainly a, it's a difficult place to navigate for us at the moment. So it's up to I guess our clients to adopt best practice and and make sure that they're their their housekeeping and we're presenting the risk in the best possible light Mm. to get the best outcome for them so so let's say i am a company that is struggling to insure my equipment Mm -hmm. uh two things i'd like to discuss so one what are some of the key causes for not being able to get insurance and then two what can i do as a business owner to better put forward like a case to get insurance Look, I think we can use event hire for this one just because we've spoken a lot about equipment and event hire is a a massive part of what we do. Um, But as far as if you're struggling to get insurance for your equipment, that would be claims driven most likely. Um, 
And what you can do is review processes. So for instance, in the event space, you've, you, you're hiring out structure and marquees, uh, and you've had a lot of claims, well, we would give guidance on how are you weighting your marquees down. And, and the, the association's done a lot of work around yes. weighting guidelines, and, and some businesses adopt them, some don't. Yeah. And the ones that don't are the ones that have claims. So, you know, that's our advice to them. Um, and also, we, we just look genuinely, go in depth into the business and work out, if, you know, from a core loss causation standpoint and say right well what are the trends that we, we can identify here and what can we do to um, really try and count, counteract it with them yeah mm. what, what if I'm putting my construction equipment on a certain job site does that change the insurance well that that's really a terms and conditions thing so you know for instance in a damage waiver um, you have to I know that with the association wording um, that if site security is available, they, the hire needs to put it in. So there has to be some onus that goes onto the hire. You can't just leave equipment overnight in the open in a driveway. It's going mm. to be stolen in a heartbeat. So um, you know, but we really push our our clients to to educate their clients. That's the that's the key, and and that's that's about their damage waiver as well. So it's all good having a damage waiver, but if you haven't articulated it to the hire well enough. Then, then all they're going to do is say that this damage waiver co- covers nothing and 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 it causes you more issues. Mm. So it, it's really an education from us to to the client from a risk standpoint, and then from the client to the hirer as well. But like, uh, let's just say hypothetical, there's a contractor out there that is notorious for like being really rough on the equipment, yeah. and it's causing a lot of damage, and they're known in the industry as being ones that are going to do it, but they rent at the highest rate, so everyone wants to rent to them. Would the insurance companies ever say, oh, you're doing a long-term rental with that company on that site, that's a risk? I don't or, think or, they dive down into that, that, no, that they're, level. they're not at that level, yeah. no. But what if I bought like a, like something in a mining site that was like a $5 million machine that was going on a long-term rental, like they, they don't take into account where it's going? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, it depends. So certainly from a mining sector or um, if it was air side or um, rail side, those sort of things, or if it was in a tidal area um, or over water, those sort of things are absolutely taken into consideration and they're the sort of things that we talk to our clients about because some insurers will exclude them from cover straight Mm. up unless you're talking to them about it. So um, when we would talk to a client about um, arranging their insurance, there are definitely questions that we're going to be asking them. Um, And if they're in, if they're working in those sectors, what type of work, how close to, um, like are they right next to, are they um, uh, covering the plane? Is it where they're letting the plane sleep at night? Um, You know, all the barges, that type of thing. Yeah, That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, uh, critical information that would be important. You don't want to just skim over it and say, well, we've got insurance because sometimes you're just buying an expensive piece of paper. We don't want to give you that. We want to make sure that if you're buying something that's actually useful, it's peace of mind. So um, you have your insurance for a reason. You don't want to think that it's a waste of money. You want to make sure that... I know it's not a sexy topic. It's not something that you want to talk about all the time, but if you take the time, go through the information um, and get it right, if you do have a claim, you don't have to have the stress afterwards. Mm. It's in black and white. 
um, it, there's no grey. You don't want the grey. I think I think in in your example as well, what we do encourage regularly is risk transfer. Mm-hmm. We want the hirer to ensure the equipment outright. So we vet. You know, the if if the hirer is damaging equipment, let's let's transfer the insurance onus onto them. So they insure it outright. We vet the 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 policy documents to make sure it's adequate. And then if they have a claim, it's on their claims history and it's not on our clients. Um, You know, that's one way to get around that. Um, The hire rental industry, uh, the the association, sorry, they put out, they they do communicate really well around bad hirers and, you know, if they steal uh, stock or hire assets. um, Yeah, we we get a red alert and that's really beneficial. So it's an email system that goes out to everyone and, you know, to watch out for their, for, you know, Joe Bloggs, who's just stolen a dingo uh, from this site. And, and that's been working, I think, that, that program, because in the past, the, the same guy would knock off five high companies in a row. Mm. But I think the communication between businesses is so good now that that's, that's becoming less and less. Yeah, I get those emails as well, the red alerts. Yeah. Like, it's really useful. Yeah. So I think in America, it's very common for yeah, the hirers to have their own insurance yeah. when they rent things out. Is that not as common in Australia? No, it's very common, yeah. And we can facilitate it for the hirer as well. So we, we do that um, regularly. Um, it's it, depending on the size of the business, really, I think. Um, but but that's our, 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 our ideal situation, isn't it, really? It, it's Well, it's the ideal situation, but it depends on the style of client. So if it's the DIY, DIY market, then they're necessarily not going to have the insurance in place. No. But most commercial... Um, hirers will have some sort of insurance in place and yeah risk transfer is what you'd want to do um, where you can so um, because what we want to do is is keep your business looking as clean and clear as it possibly can be and if there is an event um, you're protected from it Mm. there's still a bit of work in that for us as well because sometimes uh, come settlement uh, the the terms and conditions might not match up to exactly to the the policy wording. Yes. So there, there's always a bit of grey area in those claims, and that's where what we get paid for, really. Yeah. And and so over the past couple of years, the the used equipment market, like the prices are going through the roof at the moment, where you can almost pay more for some used equipment than new equipment, just based on the the turnaround times from some of the OEM. So how does that affect insurance? Because like I'm just thinking about my insurance of my car as an example like it just renews every year and if I renew but the price goes up then I'm not actually getting adequate insurance correct yeah Uh, it is actually a significant issue at the moment as Damien mentioned before plant and equipment policies you specify the value that you're insuring the equipment for so if I have um, I don't know a 1.7 ton excavator and I bought that for $20,000 two years ago Chances are, um, in the market that we're in at the moment, that that's probably increased in value. Um, you wouldn't. You, you need to look at your equipment each year to make sure, because you're specifying the value. And as Damien mentioned, it's market value, or, or what you've specified, or market value, whichever is the lesser. So at the moment, if we have clients that are rolling over the same values year on year. Um, and they think, okay, well, I bought it two or three years ago. Um, surely it, it hasn't gone up, or we'll just leave it as it is. Um, 
we don't want our clients to be disappointed when they have a claim either. So we encourage them to have a look at the, the values because at the moment appreciation has been significant. You're right, you're, like a used car has um, gone up significantly in value. Equipment has too. Um, every industry is being affected by that. And it, again, it's not a sexy topic and it's not something that we want to sit and bury ourselves in paperwork, but um, it's definitely worth having a look at it because Murphy's Law, the piece of equipment that you don't value correctly, that's the one that's going yeah. to get damaged. And I, th- I think that also applies to to replacing equipment. So the lead times to replace certain equipment, pieces of equipment is is massive, it's yes. years. Mm. So, you know, what we're talking to our clients at the moment about is, you know, from a business continuity standpoint is, well, what do you do in that time frame if you lost that machine or those machines or you had a big loss, a significant loss and lost 20 machines, what impact does, it, does that have on your business and what, what do we need to do from a risk standpoint to, to make sure that you continue in business? Okay. So, you know, th- there are insurance products around business interruption that we can, we can sit over machinery as well, um, standalone machinery that provides, you know, some gross profit cover and some additional costs to hire, hire in equipment from other hire companies mm-hmm. to make sure that you maintain your client base and maintain your revenue le- levels. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really hot topic at the moment around um, used and, and re- replacing mm. equipment. I almost want to like try and uncover like why someone wouldn't be covered by insurance when they are insured. Sure. Yeah? Yeah, the, 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 there's certainly scenarios where things are, things are an uninsured loss. So the flood events is a, a great example. So there are, certain, there are certain areas of Australia that you cannot buy flood cover because the, you know, there are one in, a tw- one in 10, one in 20 year flood floodplain and no insurer is going to just hand out money. So um, that, that's something that you could have, your, your, you know, if you're looking at party and party hire and event hire, you could have your equipment insured, but you wouldn't have flood cover. So th- there are circumstances like that. COVID-19 is a great example as well. Mm-hmm. So business interruption that associated with COVID-19 was an uninsured loss for everybody. Mm. Um, and some businesses were obviously hit harder than others and that's awful especially in event event high but if every business was to to claim on their bi business interruption for covid 19 there'd be no insurance market left mm. so there, there, there's certainly going to be events that aren't covered mm. so it's mostly to do with natural or something outside of the environment really yeah yeah well we, we've like, certainly got clients that, that can't get insurance because their claims are that <laughs> Claims are so shocking, but that's that's really about um, uh, I guess internal in, mm. internal processes, and, and and there has to be improvement there first. And insurers are insurers are willing to work with clients and, and with around excesses, um, but it, at the end of the day, the client has to be invested in improving their loss ratio. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of like a scenario where, like. Um, maybe there's, I don't know, alcohol involved. Would that cut out insurance altogether? Like, like is that a scenario? In certain circumstances. So uh, our policies have, um, they protect the business owner. So if, if for instance, an employee um, is in a work vehicle and they're, they're, they have a crash and they're, they're over the legal limit, blood alcohol limit, um, the business we would look to protect the business owner 
um, but we want to make sure that they they have processes in place to to make sure that that they're doing the right thing. So you know, periodic license checks is is a good one because you know unlicensed drivers is is a very similar thing. Mm. So they might have an accident, they don't have a license, they haven't told the business owner that they lost their license. It's very common. Yeah. So uh, again, the the guidance that we give our clients is you know that there are some tools that you can use to 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 try and make sure that you minimise that exposure. Mm. But we cover it, but if if you have an accident in your vehicle, Mark, and you're over the limit, it's not covered. Yeah. Because it's a known it's a known act. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so it's always protecting the company. Yeah, well that's that's our aim of the mm. that's our aim is to protect the protect our client and um, you know down the line that if if they've done everything in their in their powers to make sure they've done the right thing when we think we expect that that claim to be paid. And so what happens if I'm a rental company, I don't have insurance on a bit of gear, but the person I'm renting to does have insurance and they damage the equipment? It really comes down to the ethics of that party. Um, whilst you have um, a contract between the two parties, um, you can submit, you, you can say, okay, here's the invoice for the repair, but it can be a lengthy process. Um, if they chose to ignore you, you might have to um, take legal action, mm. which is obviously quite costly as well. Um, or if they're an ethical company that want to um, do things the right way then they can lodge it with their insurer um, and their insurer could assess it they might not come to the right value or to a value that you're happy with um, but it, they could definitely lodge the claim that way and work through the process but you don't have any power or control in that situation at all um, if it is lodged through your company which is um, uh, uh, your insurer or your broker can work with you um, and they're trying to secure a good outcome or trying to recover from the other party as well. It might There might be some things that your policy doesn't cover where your insurer can perhaps add some additional things to the recovery process um, that you might secure later down the, the path when, you know, three to six months' time after the insurer's sought recovery from the hirer. That happens um, a lot, doesn't it, with, you know, consequential loss, especially loss of very use. Very common. Loss of use claims, so demarrage type of thing. Mm. Yeah. And, like, what percentage do you think of companies don't insure their equipment well I, I don't think that uh, look, we wouldn't deal with companies that that don't insure their equipment it, it would be an educated decision not to and a self-insurance decision so um if, you know if 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 a company just didn't want to insure and, and was just saying i'll just take risks um and they couldn't afford it and they didn't have the risk tolerance to to wear those claims then that's that's not a sort of business that we would deal with normally Mm -hmm. Uh, but we deal with clients that self-insure all the time so that they've they've evaluated what their exposure is um, they know what the cost of insurance is and they're happy to take that risk and pay the claims themselves Uh, and that 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 works really well but you need to be really informed and 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 have a really good idea of what your risk tolerance is yeah yeah, yeah. It's just it's just managing that risk, as you said, and then just figuring. Like, I can't imagine someone putting out a large excavator and not having insurance. Like it would just be. But it happens all the time. Really? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's you crazy. Know, there'll be businesses that would self-insure the first million dollars worth of losses that they have. Yeah, that's common. Wow. And so, what do you think? It's just they're trying to save money. Well, yeah. it's dollar swapping with the mm-hmm. insurer, really. So you can either pay a million dollars premium or or a hundred thousand and and self-insure. 
So, and then they'll look at the balance of probabilities, and if they haven't had a claim in ten years, they go, "Oh, okay." Three million dollars in front, yeah, 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 and, um, then, and then that one bad thing happens on a job site, and then yeah, it can be significant. Unfortunately, yeah. it's Murphy's law too. It always tends to be the piece of equipment that isn't insured that you know there's a major loss with. But part of the process when we're looking at self-insurance programs, we'll we'll map out their history and show what what a self-insurance program would have looked like hmm. with their claims experience. And, and you, you can actually sort of map it over the last five years and say, well, had you been self-insured, uh, the, using a self-insurance concept sort of thing, uh, you would have saved this much or it wouldn't have worked. So, it's, it, you know, actual claims is a really good guide to, to how that would look and whether it's going to be a successful strategy for you or not. Mm. We definitely have clients we've gone down that path with where you do the analysis over a five-year period and um, and then you work it out to a, a dollar strategy and you go for every dollar that you've paid the insurer, they've paid you a dollar twenty. So you yeah, are in you'd front. You'd be mad to self-insure, yeah. Yeah, this isn't a good time for you to consider that. So we'd walk through the process um, depending on where they're at in terms of mm. their thinking on that. Yeah, and so let's say I just started a brand new hire business. I've got a range of general rental equipment in, in my branch. W- what advice would you give to that small business owner that relates to insurance? I think initially it would be connect with the association and use the resources that they have because, um, you know, fit for hire tagging, terms and conditions assistance, um, and also the ability to branch out and, and connect with senior business owners in your local space mm. and get some advice. That would be my initial advice because I think that's something that the association does really well. Mm. Yeah, and I think, uh, I guess from there, even if they don't have the answer, they have a, a list of partners that they can refer, like they've got the law, the law side of the, yep. the insurance side. Accounting. So HR. Accounting, yeah, HR. Um, it's definitely like, it takes the burden off some of the admin, not all, but some of the administration, um, and it's like just getting a little bit of a head start mm. in your business, and then having yeah. best practices to a certain extent. And and that's well. we give a few key examples of claims that we've common claims that we've seen regularly, um, and tips like that can be quite valuable to, to new hire companies, um, because until you've done it, you don't you do, until you're actually operating, you think oh well that that's not a likely scenario, but it it might be. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was interesting. I I had someone from Sunbelt Rentals on the podcast uh, earlier this year, last year, and earlier this year, and he owned his own business for, for twenty years with his family, and um, he he got bought by Sunbelt, and so they acquired all the assets, and then he now works for Sunbelt, and it was like the first month or so that they got bought, he got a phone call, and someone said, "Oh, someone's rolled." A machine or whatever it was, and the first thing he thought of was like, "Oh no, like, I just like, I'm, that's my money, insurance, blah blah blah." And then he was like, "Wait a second, I don't own the machine anymore. It's some somebody <laughs> owns it." But but it was just him explaining like, like when you're a small business and someone calls and said your boom lift just flipped over into a, a creek, it's it that can just be so damaging if you don't have the right policies and processes absolutely in place. Yes. You want someone to be able to hold your hand. Like the uh, the amount of times that I've had an excavator slide down a hill with an operator in it. Um, firstly, you want to make sure that the people who are there are okay and then try and find a way to get the equipment out and go through the process. But it can be lengthy and challenging and emotional. And, and there, stressful, there be, stressful yeah. for business owners. 
You, yeah. you want someone who um, has been through the process, who can guide you through it, um, and just let you know it's going to be okay. Yeah. Now, I like to ask everyone, so I'll ask you both these questions. So how do you define success? Maybe we'll start with yourself first. Um, well, um, success to me is probably happiness and having a great family. But um, in terms of work and success, um, I think one of my biggest bugbears in the um, insurance industry and with a lot of industries is um, people who speak in jargon. So uh, a success to me is not being able to speak or being able to speak to people in a non-jargon fashion. If I can explain something to um, an 80-year-old um, grandmother in the same way that I could um, or to my children, uh, not in a condescending way or to clients as well, if I can explain it in a plain English way, like, you know, you break it, you pay for it or you buy the damage waiver. Um, I think it shows that you can you understand it yourself but you're also giving your clients a clean and clear picture of why they need us in the first place yeah you're not just saying buzzwords for the sake of it yeah so Damien okay for me I I think uh, I think personally I agree with you Carly it's um, you know it's about happiness Um, and professionally I think Success means that, you know, you're proud of what you do and I'm, I'm certainly proud of what I do. But I think, you know, I drilling down on that more, success for me is when I can work with a client, identify an exposure and then unfortunately that happens and we've insured it and it's something that wouldn't have been insured previously. That's probably the best feeling you have as an insurance broker and, and that's certainly, you know, success for me. Mm. Well, you seem pretty excited when you, you found out that your client had a GPS tracker on and they found the equipment. Absolutely, yeah. That, that's part of the process. It yeah? is, it's, yeah. It's like you would work with them to say a way to mitigate insurance is to put telematics on yep. your machines. Absolutely, it is. I can yep. see the success in your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> getting excited. Well, we, we ride that roller coaster with the client as well. So, you know, we're, uh, uh, these clients are also our friends in a lot of, in a lot of um, circumstances. Yeah. So um, we certainly don't want them losing equipment and, and, you know, potentially paying higher premiums. Yeah, very good. All right, Damien and Kylie, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. Thanks so Thanks, much Mark. for having us. Thank you. Very good.